Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspective. All right. Hey, so (laughs) I want to say right off the bat that I have moved into a new apartment. And so I am recording in a new space. And um, this room is kind of like big and open. Right. You don't really have much furniture or anything yet. So there's... Yeah. Sound can just bounce around everywhere. Yeah, totally. It's like echoey in here. I did a sound test before we started just to try and mitigate some of those issues. But right. if it sounds different, if it sounds kind of like echoey, just know that that's why we're still working on perfecting the sound in this room. This will be the recording room once everything is done done. But Totally. Uh, but, but that takes time yet. to set up. Yeah, that totally takes time to set up and kind of soundproof and do things like that. So we're going to be sounding extra perfect in no time, I'm sure. Yes. So just bear with us. <laughs> definitely. Dear definitely. friends. Yes. Well, I wanted to share something that I think is super cool. The second wife of Edie Windsor has been kind of interacting with us on Instagram, and she just sent a bunch of messages like she's just been like I, I think she's sending messages as she's listening to the episode because she's referencing specific things that you brought up in your covering of Edith Windsor and one of the things that she sent the very first thing that she sent was the actual paperwork that Edie Windsor filled out for IBM where it says that Thea is her roommate and everything like that it is so cool to see like the actual handwriting and the actual document she's sending in (laughs) one of my favorite things that she said so far was Edie would have ripped you a new one calling her a little old lady Edie was no little old lady she was the life of the party and I said we will never again call her old and she said, good. She was sexy and hot and brilliant every moment of her life. <laughs> I mean, I think that that's apparent even in the older photos of her. Like she oh, always totally. looked like the life of the party, you know, and I mentioned in that episode, which by the way, you know, if you didn't listen to this episode or if you um, don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about episode 172 when we did LGBTQ plus feminist faves and mm-hmm. Madigan covered Harvey Milk and I covered Edith Windsor, who's just a fantastic, phenomenal, incredible, lovely lady. And um, she had this incredible, wonderful love story with her partner of many years, Thea Spire. And then after Thea's passing, she remarried and she remarried Judith. And that's who's been messaging us. And I'm so flattered that she's been listening to the episode and commenting and sharing things. She is such a hoot. I have one other thing that I want to share with you that I think is really cool because you mentioned this like diamond circular pin that Thea proposed to Edie with. Mm-hmm. Edie gave the diamond pin to me. It's locked in a safe and she told me to wear it whenever I wanted. I have yet to do so, but treasure it with all my heart. Maybe one day. 
Oh, gosh. It's so beautiful. I've seen pictures of this pin, and I would love nothing more than to... Um, you know, talk with Judith more. Maybe that's something that we can do for I know. The listeners. If you listeners are interested in, in having a conversation with her, we are more than happy to float that idea out there because she had this wonderful, deeply, obviously deeply personal relationship with Edith Windsor for a yeah. long time, even before their marriage. So She just said in another message, like she's literally still sending me messages as we speak. <laughs> like she's just sending all this stuff. And um, she's saying that she actually also knew Thea as well, because they were all part of the LGBTQ activist world, you know, so they would go to a lot of the same events. So she really has a, a big love for Edith, obviously, but also has a lot of love for Thea and like holds on to her stuff as well and had so much great information of like, you know, going further than what we could see on the internet and things like that. It was just, it's so cool that she's reached out to us and wanted right. to share her stories. And I think it's interesting, you know, we talk a lot of times when we do feminist faves, we talk about how there are so many discrepancies on the internet between sources and between websites. And it's interesting to speak to someone who was really there at the time, because for instance, you know, we were just talking about how in the sources that I read, it said that Willie, which was the name that she used to refer to Thea when Thea would call her office was her childhood teddy bear. And Judith wrote in and said, actually it was a doll. It was a a boy doll that she had growing up. And so it's just like those slight, slight discrepancies. Yeah, and it was a doll that Thea and her family, that that Thea had when her family was, like, escaping the Nazis. Like, crazy shit. And and Judith has all this stuff in her house, and she lives on the estate that Thea and Edie bought together. I'm like, this is too cool. I'm, like, fangirling with all the messages she's sending me, but she's going to have to wait because now I'm recording. Okay. (laughs) Judith is going to have to wait. Another time, but we will jump into some news stories what what do you have to talk about today, Madigan? I want to share something shortly that's very, very, very sad. There's just not a lot of information out there yet, but I feel like it's a good conversation to start. So protesters have been demonstrating and occupying a stretch of Minneapolis's Lake Street since early June. So mm-hmm. in early June, there were two local sheriff's deputies who were serving on a fugitive tax task force, allegedly, that's what's being said. Right. Um, and they shot and killed Winston Smith, who was at the time 32 years old on the 3rd of June. So the two deputies who killed him, they were both wearing body cameras, but at the time they had been instructed not to turn them on, even though in October the Justice Department reversed a longstanding policy preventing officers on federal fugitive task forces from wearing them. Right. The, the from min- turning them off, you mean? No, no, not from turning them off. So they had to be wearing them, basically, is oh, what it said. Oh, I thought you said um, prevented them from wearing them, and then that's why I got confused. Never mind. You said it right. I just heard it wrong. No worries. So the Minnesota, the Minnesota State Bureau of Criminal Justice has said that it will not release the name names of the officers because they were working undercover, and police say that they were attempting to serve an arrest warrant to Winston Smith, who had missed a sentencing hearing where he was allegedly supposed to be serving a prison term. And the Mm -hmm. officers said that he produced a handgun and a shootout ensued. However, a woman that Winston Smith was with at the time said that she never saw him with a gun. And I feel like, you know, 
in instances where officers say like, oh, he had a gun and we shot him or we thought he had a gun and we shot him. Yeah. It's it's different than saying a shootout ensued. Like, I feel like if a shootout ensued, the witness should be aware of it the It would be very that, obvious. Yeah. Right? In one of the U.S. Marshal statements, they say that Winston Smith, who, by the way, I don't think we clarified, he is a black man. Mm-hmm. Um it says that Winston shot at the officers first. But then, like you said, the woman in the car with him who went on a lunch date with him, there was a Snapchat post that he had made just right before all of this happened about this lunch date that he was going on with this woman. Um, And she says that she never saw a gun on Winston Smith and she never saw a gun inside the vehicle at any time. Right, which, again, like, you know, you could miss something like that if, or the officers could think they saw something or, or any number of things. But to say but that he shot gunshot. first, right, would, it, there's no way you would miss that if you were in a car with somebody and they and, pulled out a gun and started shooting. You would right. know that that's what happened. And the thing that's frustrating with that is I know that there's investigations going on into all of this, but what's frustrating to me is that if the body cameras were turned off, how how is this investigation going to go? Is it just going to be based solely on witnesses? Because I feel like, you know, there is, we really need that body camera footage of what's going on or else I feel like people are going to be able to say whatever they want about the situation. Well, that's the reason body cameras are supposed to be mandatory in the first place right. is because they can you know, change the narrative to whatever they want now because they lie you know right. and i'm and they did say that a search of the scene uncovered a handgun pistol magazines and spent ammunition casings and they didn't elaborate on that you know what i mean and that, that could, could be mean from the anything. cop too exactly. because the cop was the one that shot it makes absolutely no sense so obviously people in minneapolis are very upset about this and i mean minneapolis was like the hub for the major protest um, against the murder of George Floyd last and, summer. And others, you know. And, and others just, too, right. It's it's very frustrating. I feel like this is... So the way that I had my notes laid out today was I was mm-hmm. going to talk about, and we'll talk about this afterwards, but I was going to talk about the fact that, you know, today officially, Juneteenth is now a national holiday right. in, in the United States and how the pros and cons of that and how exciting that is on, on one hand and how on the other hand, it feels so empty when this type of thing can not only continue to go on, but can, can continue to go on in the same city, like the same area, like over and over. I mean, it was like really close. Like Lake street is very, very close to cup foods. It's all kind of in that same little area of downtown Minneapolis. Like, it happens, these two events happen very, very close together. And I think that the city, I mean, the people like us who are enraged by this is are just probably so freaking sick of how these Minneapolis cops are behaving themselves. So there have been these protests, obviously, going on in Minneapolis. And one person was killed and three were injured on Sunday night after a driver in an SUV drove into a crowd of protesters near the site where Winston Smith was shot. Yes. So the driver, um, whose name is Nicholas Krause, he told police that he intentionally accelerated in an attempt to, quote, jump the barricade. And witnesses said that the car was moving at approximately 70 to 80 miles per (gasps) hour. And it hit the car so hard 
that it flipped the car. So it hit it hit the car that that hard, and um, the person hit the car that hard that the car flipped. So Nicholas Kraus, what what happened was a lot of these protesters had put their cars strategically as barricades, right? They were okay. using their own vehicles as barricades. So the woman who um, passed away, Diana Marie Erickson, who was murdered, she had put her car as a as a barricade. Okay. Essentially to protect the protesters. So she was a healthcare service manager and a mother of two young daughters. And um, when Krauss rammed into her car, the car hit her. So he was going at such a high rate of speed that it flipped the car and that car hit her. So, I mean, she was, she didn't really stand much of a chance at all. So it wasn't, um, it wasn't a direct impact. It wasn't the car directly hitting her. It was... The car hit a car, which hit her. No, no, the car hit her. Okay. So she was okay. standing in front of her own car. So Krauss hit her car, and her car hit her, basically. I understand. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I took my notes for this a couple of days ago, so I'm glad that you have more, because I'm like, they're still investigating. I didn't know No worries. Know that. A lot of things have come to light since, so... Yeah, I didn't even have the name of the driver. I had no idea that they had learned this much about it. Yes, and I think just... So you might not know this either, because I think it just happened maybe uh-huh. today, uh, maybe yesterday. He was charged, or has been charged, with second-degree intentional murder and two counts of second degree assault and I he does have um, he does have a history of DWIs like that a long I history. did read, yeah so they're still waiting on his blood tests to come back to determine whether or not um, he had been drinking at the time uh-huh. but there were witnesses and other protesters at the scene who spoke up um, several of them on Twitter one protester said if it wasn't for Deanna Marie's car being positioned the way it was, we would have all been dead or seriously injured. The white supremacists that killed her wanted a lot more of us dead, but her car saved us. Rest in paradise, Deanna. Please Ugh. look down on us and be our guardian angel. And there are several other people who were at the protest who reiterate the same sentiment, stating that it was only thanks to her car being where it was that a lot more people were not killed. So. How- heartbreaking i mean so so great that all of these lives were saved but god like but at this cost right what cost yeah like it just so heartbreaking and that's the thing that's the reason that people put up these barricades like you go to these events only wanting to do good and to draw attention to an issue and it ends up becoming this incredibly dangerous and potentially violent situation like it just it shouldn't be that way it right that's the simplest Mm -hmm. thing about it it's so infuriating yeah and i do want to point out you know that diana along with her mother um if they're not white they are white passing uh but both of them have been extremely active in the black lives matter movement for quite a while I guess mm-hmm. she posted about um, Winston Smith on Facebook and yes, the and Dante Wright before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's been very vocal, and her mother has even spoken uh, at events as well. You wow. know, ba- so like it's it's something that obviously she was incredibly passionate about. Right. You know, um, immediately following the incident, and I think this kind of leads into what you were going to talk about, Madigan, is mm-hmm. that. 
Immediately following the incident, there were 12 squad cars that arrived on the scene and police were in full riot gear with rubber bullets aimed at the protesters. So like three protesters have been um, or four have been struck. One has been killed. It was actually street medics. You know, if you've ever been to a protest very often. Uh especially protests like this they will have street medics who are usually volunteers doctors nurses um there to administer any kind of like medical help um they were the ones who attended the injured um and it was not the police and it was community members and other protesters who initially apprehended the driver because when he hit her he got out of the car and started running and so police said that well they haven't really responded to criticism like they haven't really they directly haven't responded but what they did say was that um things started to get violent because the protesters were beating the guy who hit gee i them. wonder why they were beating the guy that just tried to run them over with his car like right. I, that is the most fucking american thing i've ever heard like the mm-hmm. cops show up to a protest and start Gotta shooting over bullets at the protesters mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. get mad at the people who are chasing after the guy that just tried to run them over with their fucking car right i mean and no. also you know it really speaks to policing in america or, or like the way that things are where 10 squad cars with police in full riot gear will show up before an ambulance like yep. the ambulance didn't no, show up God, for yeah. another like 10 or 15 minutes you know absolutely so, absurd yeah it, it and it just escalated from there unfortunately um we are recording this on thursday as we normally do so yesterday for us but wednesday for the rest of you would have been diana's 32nd birthday And activists and demonstrators held a march and rally in Minneapolis. Um, They brought flowers, candles, and balloons to honor her. So she, a lot of the same protesters who had gone to the the event in which she lost her life, also came out on Wednesday to celebrate her birthday. Wow. Yeah. No, you actually, everything that I had, you'd already said. So I think... I mean, it's just, it's so... (sighs) It's it's frustrating because I end up I feel like we end up having kind of the same conversations over and over again. Right. But it's really the reason why we have the same conversations over and over again is because no actual actual real change has been implemented. Right. We'll stop saying the same thing over and over again when people stop doing this. You know what I mean? Like we're going to have to talk about it whenever it happens because we have to like it's they this these stories deserve to be told but it really you know when it comes to commenting on it it really does start to get frustrating because it's like how many times can we say how many times can we feel you know it's all of these things it just it's like a nightmare broken record really right yeah it feels like groundhog's day but at the same time you know so for anybody who might be thinking Man, I I get really sick of these episodes where they're talking about the same things over and over again. I also do feel a responsibility and feel like it is very important for us to bring this up over and over again because how many times did we hear 
police departments say, you know, we hear you, we're going to change, we're going to kneel with you at protests. How often did we hear specifically the Minneapolis Police Department say that they were, you know, making changes exactly. to, to their department and that this wasn't going to happen anymore? And, and meanwhile, of, and again, all the photos of them kneeling at protests and all this other stuff. I mean, it's bullshit. It's all it's so performative. performative and it's to get society off their backs so they can move on and continue doing what they were doing and clearly we can't let that happen i mean to the point where there was one of the cops um at this protest who showed up in riot gear was a cop who had formerly been um accused or caught brutalizing a citizen brutalizing specifically Why? a black citizen and I he just cannot believe like i know that like well duh madigan that, uh, but like i still can't believe that people who can do their job so badly and like brutalize a person and then be like oh you can keep your job we'll police keep you unions. on the streets we'll move you around whatever police I mean, unions man it's this it's the same thing as with the catholic church which we've discussed i was as just well. gonna like, say that like you know it's like what are you the catholic church just moving the pedophiles around like it's just it's insane to me because if at any other job you fuck up that badly, you're gone. Of course. <laughs> you know, of course, like, you know, why are we I, protecting these people? Why are they so protected? Why are they higher above every other citizen? I think it's a lot of things. I think in part, it's this hero worship that we have of cops. Totally. In, in the United States specifically, yeah. you know, and I think a lot of that is because of the media we consume. Um, and then, of course, it's police unions. I'm very pro-union, but police unions, they have a very crooked and racist origin story. And Well, um, you've got to have good people behind these unions that are protecting their workers and other people. If you've got And a other bad, people is yeah, the key word. If yeah, you've yeah. got the bad seed that's running the union, it's not going to be run very well. It's going to be run horribly. You know? I love that tweet where somebody says, <laughs> they're like... Why am I, as a Wendy's employee, better at de-escalating conflict than the police? And they said, well, because you'll get fired if you don't. Yep. 100%. (laughs) That's the truth. You know, that's absolutely the truth. And so I I understand, first of all, we want to tell these stories to honor the victims. And I think that we try to do that. But secondly, I do think that every now and again, it is important to just reiterate that like nothing has really changed. Like yeah. we feel like things have changed and that kind of leads us into talking about Juneteenth and everything like that. Right. Like we can feel like things are moving on we can feel like things are getting better, but until we see actual structural change, you know, <laughs> yeah. What I think, does it mean? Really? Yeah. I mean, getting into the Juneteenth conversation, you know, I see this as obviously a positive because it should Mm -hmm. be recognized like this. It should have been recognized a long, long time ago. Mm -hmm. But it also feels like a really pretty Band-Aid that Biden Mm -hmm. is slapping on a situation when there are so many bills and laws that are attempting to be passed right now that are going to be detrimental to the black community absolutely kind of sticking on this pretty band-aid on it like but i gave you juneteenth just seems oh yeah shady to me yeah yeah i mean there are always things that 
presidents do that I feel like they're thinking, I want to this I want this to be part of my legacy, right? I want to be the president who signed Juneteenth into totally. being as a national holiday. And I definitely so feel that So if he's ever way. covered on an episode of a podcast like we do, that can be part of exactly. his story. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I, just like you, I feel positively about it. But I'm I'm cautious and I don't want to be cynical and I don't want to be negative. I want to be able to enjoy things in my life and I want to be able to like celebrate things that need to be celebrated. Well, of right? course, like nobody just wants to be a curmudgeon all the time. But I found this. I was reading a few different articles and um, what it led me to was a few things. You know, right now critical race theory is under attack. It's the new thing that conservatives are attacking and saying, you know, this is a problem and we can't teach critical race theory in schools. We can't right. teach the, the history of colonialism by Americans in schools. Like it's attacking America. It's, it's anti-Americans. Yeah. Talk about those things, you know, precisely. And then putting a holiday on the calendar that has everything to do with that then you're blocking children from having the knowledge and education about one what Juneteenth is. There's to not understand be, it, right? right? There's not going to be any sort of meaning to that day. And I mean, it's not even like they're going to get a day off of school. It's in June. You know what I mean? So there isn't really a reason that people would know about it unless you start young when they're in school. Yes, parents and others in your life, like they should be responsible too for telling you these stories. But we do have to rely on schools a lot too to be able to teach the next generation, the things that they need to know about their history. And and even then, I feel like it, it just as a lot of race-related conversations that happened whenever I was a kid were twisted, I feel like this could very easily be twisted as well. It, to, you know, to say like, oh, look, you know, look at how it was, but we're now it's a national holiday and we live in a post-racial society because we made it a national holiday. So there must not or, be a problem now, you know. Or you could say June 19th was the day that all of the enslaved were freed and all was well when that's not the case. Like it took a really, it took years after Juneteenth or was it, or was Juneteenth when it finally made it to Texas? Yes. Juneteenth is when it finally made it to Texas. So it is kind of like the, when it finally was realized that the enslaved were freed, but at the same time, like there is, you know, we did a whole episode about this last year. There's more to that story. You can't just tell it like it's Thanksgiving like, yeah, things right. are really bad, but then we kissed and made up. We made it a holiday. There's well, all these even parades. We did an episode on that, too. And Yeah, exactly. Mess. And Juneteenth, you know, it's there's all of these parades and celebrations and there's food and all this stuff that can, is so such an easy, like, distractor for people, especially on holidays, to remember what the meaning behind all of that is. So, again, if you're not teaching it in school, how right. would anybody I mean, realize what they're celebrating? If you're... If you're raging against critical race theory, which is going to teach you about systematic oppression, you will understand that it goes beyond even just saying like, okay, all of this, because I feel like it's going to be taught in a way in a lot of like schools that I went to, it would be taught in such a way where it's just like, we had slavery and then slavery ended with the Emancipation Proclamation, but it went on a few more years, but then it really ended on Juneteenth and everything was fine. And it's like, if you don't put that into context of like, okay, well, what about what the 13th Amendment meant? What about like slavery within the prison system? What about redlining? What about Jim Crow? What about like all these other things? You know what I mean? You're, You're erasing all of the other details to a broader story. 
and right. making and it fit into a little narrative. Uh, yeah, totally. And so I, I'm trying to say absolutely less because I realize it when I'm editing that I say it like 18 times more an episode. I say totally and 100% about 20 times an episode. So you're good. And honestly, <laughs> if you ever wanted to have a Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist drinking game, those those are the things those to look out for. Those definitely are the things. So I read this and it's a little long, but I'm going to read the whole thing because this is another thing that I wanted to bring up now that it is a national holiday, right? right? I do want to encourage people to celebrate respectfully, definitely celebrate, like go find a Juneteenth, you know, event to participate in because I think that there's a lot to learn Uh and there's a lot of joy and celebration to be had. However, if you're celebrating, please be respectful. And this is from the Boston Globe. Juneteenth is specifically a celebration of black emancipation. Race-based chattel slavery intentionally ensnared people of African descent and labeled them as property. While every racial and ethnic group has its own story of hardship and oppression, Juneteenth explicitly deals with black experiences due to slavery and the joy earned through hard-won battles. As people... As people other than black Americans commemorate Juneteenth, it may lose some of its specific focus on black people in exchange for a colorblind story of American triumph. Juneteenth was made possible in large part because of the courage and resilience of black people who persistently fought for their liberation. Sojourner Truth, Anna Murray Douglas, Harriet Tubman, and other heroes of American Black freedom's struggles should occupy a central place in Juneteenth celebrations. In a clamor to show that Juneteenth is important to all people, Black people should maintain their central place in the story. Mm-hmm. As more people recognize Juneteenth, there's also a risk that complicated historical events such as slavery, the Civil War, and the emancipation become flattened and superficial in the national memory. And I think that that is just an important thing to keep in mind. Like, I want us to celebrate. I want this to be a national holiday. But I also want to make sure it doesn't become a thing where you can just be like, all right, well, we can just go, you know, drink a 40 and celebrate black people. It's like, it, I just want to say white people stories. don't ruin this shit. Like white people <laughs> don't ruin it. Like, don't be assholes. Please God, don't it. make it about you. <laughs> please, please don't do it. Not everything is about you, white people coming from a white person. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I yeah, it, it's. I think that you, that little section that you just read, I think hits the nail on the head. I'm glad that we were able to have this conversation, especially because it was just kind of officially announced today, right? That it was like an official holiday and everything like that. On Thursday for listeners, yeah. Yes, yes, on Thursday. And I had that initial feeling as well. So I'm glad that we were able to have that conversation and I was able to learn a little bit more and all that kind of stuff. So everybody, next week is going to be our coming out episode, right? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes, it is. I Listen, time, I don't know what time is at the moment. It's, time means nothing. I'm stuck in just a black abyss of moving. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So we need all of your stories in by June 24th. That would be absolutely fantastic. Uh, we've done some really great coming out episodes in the past. Just a reminder, if you would like to stay anonymous, just let us know. We will 100% 
keep your identity private, but we think that all of your stories are very worth reading. So if you would like to send your coming out story in, please email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or direct message us on Instagram at angry neighborhood feminist. We have a Facebook business and group page. You can go ahead and like and review us on the business page and chat with the other listeners on the group page. And if you want to help us out the most and help others find our show, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts with a quick sentence about why you love us so much. All right, that's all we have for you today. With all that being said, we encourage you to rage rage on. on. Bye. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.